Hello and welcome to Will Will We we Make make It it Out Alive? I'm Amy, the poop detective. And I'm Jen, the magical mapper. This is episode six. God save the queen. B. In this episode, we will learn more about why you shouldn't go in the field with me, colony collapse, and how you can help pollinators, a cool GIS tool that looks at vegetation health, and the pollinator garden challenge, the Pacific Northwest bumblebee atlas, and how you can track bumblebees with an app. Yeah. Also, since we're talking about bees and pollinators, this episode, I looked up some bee facts, and there are some super fascinating facts. Oh my goodness. I can't wait to share them with you. Um, Actually, I actually can't wait, so I'm going to share one right now. Did you know that honeybees are the only insect that produces food consumed by humans? Whoa. Yeah. And you know what that food is? It's honey. Well, I knew that part. Okay. And do you know how honey is produced? Not really. This is super freaky. Bees make honey by regurgitating digested nectar into honeycomb cells and then fanning it with their wings. So honey is regurgitated digested bee food. That is kind of disgusting. Isn't it? And fascinating. But also, I mean, honey, it's like one of those weird things too. It's one of the few things that you don't have to refrigerate and it lasts forever. Exactly. Weird. Yeah. That is I don't know. I just thought that was super fascinating. So to start this episode, I thought I'd uh, warm us up with a little story about why going in the field with me is super awesome and I highly recommend doing it. I will show you amazing things. Hmm. And I just wanted to be kind of clear that this story is not about the pollinator bees that we are going to be talking about the rest of this episode that we want to protect. It's about wasps or yellow jackets, whatever. And as far as I can tell, they're just giant jerk faces and their populations, I don't know, appear to be doing fine, fine enough to sting me all the time. So I'm not here to talk about protecting them. If you think I should, change my mind. Anyways, so there was this time where- Long, um, long ago. Long, long ago (laughs) in a far off distant land. Um. (laughs) When I was responsible for beavers, wait, wait. I was a beaver uh, master. Oh my god! No comment. <laughs> <laughs> and as part of my beaver mastery, I would have to sometimes go out and inspect dams where they were huh. impacting our infrastructure. Hmm. So we had a site where there was flooding over the roadway and I went out in the field with both my manager and the manager of another department Hmm. and we were going out to kind of assess the dam. We had a auto leveler or a beaver deceiver as they're sometimes called at the dam location which allows water to flow through the dam even when the beaver thinks it's all dammed up still. Oh so it like automatically love okay i see yeah oh i always wondered what that meant yes i see and they work fairly well if they're (laughs) installed properly the beaver are very smart though and they can Mm. clog them up still so you have to kind of pay attention to them and potentially unclog them a little bit if Hmm. they stick some sticks in there which beavers like to do if the water's running so anyways (laughs) we were having some flooding going (laughs) over (laughs) nothing 
of the roadway and uh, we wanted to go and check on this beaver deceiver and it's like not very far away from the road but it's very thick brush it's like a wetlandy area with a a very narrow beaver channel you know Mm -hmm. I'm talking like Mm -hmm. six inches to a foot maybe pretty small so both of the managers get out and they're walking in front of me and I had hip waders on and I actually think that might have been part of the saving grace for me um but anyways so we're going in and I don't remember if I I might have been the only one with a machete but for some reason I was in the rear but maybe everyone had machetes so basically you go from the road you walk through water which is coming up over the road a little bit of water that's in like the ditch that parallel the road and then the beaver pathway goes out perpendicular from that so we're walking Mm -hmm. in that pathway and we're literally just on the other side of the ditch so we're Uh like the road is still right behind me (laughs) right and I uh, took the machete and I swung at some vegetation near the ground and um all of a sudden we all start hooting hollering (laughs) Uh, (laughs) apparently I swung right into a ground nest of mm. yellow jackets, I believe, or maybe wasps, something. Uh-huh. And um, we got the crap stung out of it. I, because I was closest to the road, I was able to kind of <laughs> escape quickly. They were already in the little channel kind of. So it was like they're like trying to bat them off and get out of there at the same time. Wow. And we got up to the road and I got a few things, like maybe three or four, I think, but I if I remember correctly, I think there was 30 stings between the three of us about. <laughs> wow. Um, and so obviously I didn't get the majority of those. Um, wow. So the moral of the story is. Don't go out in the field don't with Don't go you. out in the field with me. Wow. Um, at least not when you're carrying a machete. At least, which is probably just good advice. I for mean. For a lot of different reasons, but yeah. 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 Um, wow. Okay. Did you set that up? Like, did you do that on purpose? No, I had no idea. <laughs> uh, I felt really bad. Uh, we did actually still go out to the dam. Well, after that oh, it you all did? happened, we stayed out there. Oh, and my then goodness. By the time we got back to the office, my manager had been stung on his face and parts of his face were swelling up. So I was feeling oh. pretty bad at that point in time. He was a real good sport about it all. Wow, that's horrible. <laughs> Man, yeah. those those things hurt. Yeah, too. no, they really do. Oh and my goodness! I mean, so moving along to the better yeah, pollinator type self, not those evil jerk faces. I wanted you all to know that in researching this episode, I found out that my birthday is actually National Honeybee Day. What should I talk about my date of birth on here? Well, if, yeah, of course, and don't forget to mention the year, and you know. Where you were born and like your social security number. Oh, good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, you have to listen to the end of the episode and then I share that information. Oh, okay. Uh, so what's up with bees? Uh, apparently they haven't been doing so good. And probably a lot of you know this. This has right. been in the news for quite a while now. Hey, um, Amy. Yeah. So mead mm-hmm. is an adult beverage. Mm-hmm. So it's made from fermented honey. I'm familiar. It's the world's oldest fermented beverage. I also knew that. Ugh, whatever. I thought you were going to dazzle me with your amazing factoids, Jen. Whatever. Okay. So and how about in order to make a pound of honey, a hive of bees must fly 55 
thousand miles. How could they even figure that out? Be tracking devices? Yes. I've heard about how you did that with snails. <laughs> so bees. Yeah. Back in 1988, when I was a wee lass and Jen was only like 60 years old or something. Whatever. <laughs> there were estimated to be about 5 million bees in the U.S. And then reports in 2016 was that that number had been halved and now there's only 2.5 million bees uh, wow. in the U.S. Whack fact. Honeybees are actually non-native species. Hmm. They were brought here from Europe. Well, then why, why would we want to keep them around? Basically, the way that our commercial agricultural practices developed depend on honeybees for pollination. Hmm. And although we do have native bees here, like mason bees, even if we got rid of the honeybees and tried to increase the mason bee amounts, they actually couldn't sustain the levels of commercial agriculture that we're at now. Oh, wow. So basically, as long as our food system stays the way it is, we need these honeybees. And if we don't have the honeybees, then we're probably going to have to change the way our food system works anyways. I know a lot of people think bees are annoying. They're very scared of them because they think they're going to sting them all the time. So what do you say to those people? Like, why should they care that bees are dying? Uh, well, first of all, as I kind of alluded to with my little story, the bees that typically sting are those jerk face wasps and yellow jackets and such. Mm -hmm. Honeybees are typically not aggressive. Also, a third of our food is basically thanks to pollinator bees. And less bees equals less pollination. And that equals both lower yields of fruits and vegetables and less plants. Huh. You know, and there's a lot of other things besides just stuff that we eat. There's things like a lot of plants, right? Mm. Coffee. <gasps> Coffee. Yep. Uh, um, people, save the bees. <laughs> <laughs> Humanity depends on it, as you can all see now that I've said coffee. Yes. All feed crops. Mm -hmm. There's things in makeup and, <laughs> of course, honey. Hey, Amy. Yes, Jen. Did you know that honeybees don't sleep? What? Yeah. Instead, they spend the nighttime like just motionless, but they're not sleeping. They're just not moving and they're conserving energy for the next day's activities. That's really interesting. Right? Did you know that cats sleep on average 13 to 16 hours per day? And the huh. reason that they sleep so much is because they're conserving energy. So that's really interesting. Also really interesting that we both picked those <laughs> right? random facts that are different because the cat is sleeping and the bee is right. not sleeping, but yeah. also about how they were both about conserving energy. Right. So weird. So weird. Mind meld. Whoa. Another reason why you should care about bees dying is that these actions have impacts up the food chain. Mm -hmm. When bees aren't around to pollinate the food, mm -hmm. then what can get eaten if there ain't no food to eat? It's a good point. I kind of feel like if the bees don't make it, like, we're not going to make it. Unless uh. we can make tiny drone bees. But we can only use technology for mm. so long. Right. Natural is better. Natural is way better. Hmm. That's sad. Why are the bees dying? It's a really good question. So kind of like our last episode, this was 
to me, the interesting part of this story. We we started this whole story because we wanted to talk about the bees and what people can do on their properties to be bee-friendly, mm-hmm. especially considering the timing with planting and thinking about gardening for the upcoming year. Right. And yes. for me, the interesting part of this story was all of the information on pesticides and their impacts on bees. And I could probably spend an entire episode just talking on that. I'm not going to. I'm I'm going to just kind of highlight it. We will have some links on our website. Um, mm-hmm. So if you want to get into some more of the studies and some more of the details, uh, we'll have some places for you to start there. Yeah. You know, earlier I was kind of talking about how commercial agricultural practices, as they are now, depend on these honeybees. Mm-hmm for pollination. A lot of large companies spend a lot of money every year driving semi-trucks of beehives around to different fields to pollinate them. Right. I think I've heard of that. That's a lot of money to yeah. move some bees around. That's so crazy. this is I mean it's like it's a real thing, right? Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, probably the reason why they're having to do this is the exact thing that they're trying to pollinate is the practices that they're using in the industrial agricultural system where basically like these pesticides, now the seeds come coated in the pesticides in addition to the spraying on the leaves or on the soil potentially, which are all different ways that they can be delivered. Mm-hmm. There's been multiple studies on multiple continents, and it, they continue to show that there is bee health impacts, including death from a, the application. That's a pretty big impact. Yeah. Other things are loss of habitat, just like the sage grouse. As urban populations have moved into more rural areas, it's just there's less of their habitat around mm-hmm. with the bees, uh, uh, part of the problem is we have these large monoculture grass lawns, which we don't even allow to flower, and they need pollen and nectar to survive, so they need right. the flowering plants. Another thing is climate change. You know, this mm-hmm. is impacting a lot of species and environments. Basically, like the increases in extreme weather is detrimental to the day to day survival of the bees. And the change in timing of warm weather events is limiting nectars and flowers. It's also making it so that the flowers maybe are blooming before the bees are active. And so then when they come out, those flowers are already gone. So they can't get the nectar from them anymore. Another thing that they're facing is diseases. One of the cool Uh, that's an air quote (laughs) Uh, cool things about the pesticides is that the bees that are exposed to the pesticides are actually more susceptible to disease also so it's like oh interesting super awesome for them and one of these diseases in particular that's a a big concern is a mite on one of the web pages i read that they described it as if you it was a human-sized bee the mite would be like a pancake sized thing that attaches oh onto its back oh god rides it into the hive <laughs> where it does something and it kills all the bees in the hive wow yeah sounds pretty gnarly actually That's really gnarly i feel like we can make like a little comic about that oh my goodness that's so <laughs> that's kind of disgusting uh, on that note can i tell you an interesting fact yes do you know how bees reproduce? Honeybees. Well, there's the queen bee. Mm-hmm. And then there's the hubby bee. No. 
Habibi? No. And Jen says no. So the queen goes on what's called a mating flight, and she only does this one time in her lifetime. So she leaves the hive, and she mates with anywhere from like five to 45 different drones, which are the male bees. Mm -hmm. And the drones, after they mate, they die. But she like stores up all the sperm from all this mating in her spermatheca, I don't know, somewhere in her body. Um, <laughs> and that's pretty much her lifetime supply of sperm. So she only needs to do that once in her life. And then she like produces all the eggs in. For all the drones? For like all the eggs that she lays. That's crazy. And she lives between two and three years. One mating flight. That is crazy. Yeah. So not what Jen was just talking about, but the other things that I was talking about before that, all of the reasons why you should oh. or that are causing the bees to die. Those are collectively referred to as colony collapse. Mm. So bees are dying, but there are things that we can do to help. We're going to kind of talk about two things today, and those are reducing pesticide use especially the neonicotinoid. The other one we're going to talk about is pollinator-friendly landscapes. Mm. So, but before I get into that and what will kind of help with the pollinator-friendly landscape part of this is talking a little bit about what a bee wants, what a bee needs. No. A bee just wants <laughs> to be happy. Wow. So, first of all, what does a bee want what does a bee need to survive so many of them are ground nesters really i know i was kind of surprised by that too I, huh. apparently um bumblebees oftentimes are solitary nesters really in the ground which uh -huh. i often wondered like where do the bumblebees go that's because wow. you'll see them all over the plants but then where do they go yeah and it's interesting, too, because then what do they do with the nectar and the pollen that they gather? Because they gather right, a ton of, <sighs> like, I mean, I've seen some bumblebee piggies out there. Oh, yeah. Just, like, covered in nectar. Pollinator pollen, bugs. I mean. <laughs> Jen and I, we're good at talking. That's why we podcast. Exactly. So for that ground nest, they need well-drained soil because obviously. They want to drown. They don't want to drown, yeah. probably. A lot of times they'll use also like beetle holes or the soft part of the tree or plant material. Mm -hmm. And what do they eat? Pollen and nectar. So uh -huh. they need flowering plants. And then also like some bees, like bumblebees, can actually have multiple births in a single growing season. So plants with successive blooms and plants that are early bloomers and kind of like mm -hmm. we were talking about a little bit earlier with the impacts of climate change actually moving some blooms happening mm -hmm. before the bees are out looking for the pollen. Mm -hmm. So planting plants that kind of bridge that gap of what they would normally go after earlier in the season that they're missing now. And now they have something mm -hmm. that's later than that. According to Jennifer Sass, senior research scientist at the Natural Resource Defense Council, the thing we can most control is pesticides. Anyone with an outdoor space, from a container garden to a large lawn, can create a pesticide-free, safe space for pollinators that will encourage native bees and other beneficial insects. She also urges people to not purchase plants that have been sprayed with pesticides. And I'd point out in that that that's kind of a one step further. Typically, at a lot of places, if you go to like a big box store for plants or something, mm -hmm. in order to know that, it's not going to be necessarily on the label. So you might actually have to talk to somebody, which takes more effort on your part. Right. 
but it also provides like a clue to those businesses if people start regularly coming in looking for plants that, that haven't been sprayed. just haven't been yeah. sprayed and some of them might not carry those even so right. they might be like oh we don't want to lose customers so mm-hmm. it might be a way to help inform businesses to change right slowly but surely yes in Africa, a lot of farmers have a big problem with elephants going into their fields and destroying all their crops. So that's one of the reasons people hunt elephants. So there are certain people in Africa that keep elephants out of their field by keeping honeybee hives around the fields. So that's called a bee fence. And when elephants bump into the fence and disturb the nearby hives, the sound of the bees causes the elephants to like run away. They don't actually harm the elephants, but it's a kind of way to keep the elephants from destroying the crops without people shooting them. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Very cool. This was an interesting thing I learned in my research for this project. Did you know that you can report a suspected bee poisoning? Suspected bee poisoning? Yeah. Like a murder mystery? (gasps) So like actual like bees being poisoned and not bees stinging people and poisoning them? Correct. Huh. There is an app that you can get on your phone linked on our website. Mm-hmm. Basically, if you see a bee that looks disoriented or maybe just one that's dead, you can mm-hmm. report it and they'll collect that information and try to figure out if there's areas that are there's a lot of sightings of bee potential uh-huh. poisonings. Huh. And then what do they do with that? Magical stuff that I can't tell you right now because oh. we don't have enough time to talk about. Okay. So. Do you want to be friendly with a pollinator landscape? I mean, yes, but that's a horrible pun. (laughs) I think she likes it. (laughs) So what makes a landscape pollinator friendly? We'll have a couple links on our website to some more information and some potential plans. But these are kind of some of the tips. You want to uh, consider the right plant for the right place. So that means plant the right plant for the conditions you have at your house. If you have a shady, wet area, there are certain plants that are going to like those conditions. If you have a sunny, dry spot, different plants are going to like that. So Mm -hmm. basically look for plants that are going to like the conditions that you have. That's going to make it so there's less upkeep for you. And that's a great landscaping tip in general anyways. Right. Another thing you want to think about is the timing of the bloom. So just like we were talking about a minute ago, because some bees like bumblebees have multiple generations within one season mm-hmm. they and and other bees it just depends on when they come out of hibernation so right. they come out in the spring and because of the timing of the blooms they might miss their preferred pollen source mm-hmm. so thinking about plants that blossom earlier in the season and then different type of plants that blossom all throughout the season which also is visually nice for your garden because it gives you something to look at yeah all throughout the season so Mm -hmm. i mean i do that in my landscape just because i like to see different flowers at different times right obviously really getting into the right plant right place native plants are best but there are other beneficial plants some plants native plants like salmonberry willow organ grape but then even things like dandelions basically as long as they're not on the invasive species list There are some types of plants that are not great pollinators, like plants that have the pollen and nectar inaccessible. 
that mm. makes sense. And I, right. I didn't know this, but I guess uh, the hybrid tea roses, they don't have pollen or nectar accessible. Mm. Ones that have showy, sterile florets, such as big leaf hydrangeas, and ones that have double flowers, such as the Kowanzan cherry, which I'm not familiar with, but... Mm. Uh, just to name a few. I did want to share this quote from Oregon Plants for Pollinators. Uh, they say that the cost of native plants may appear to be more expensive than non-native alternatives when comparing costs at the nursery. But when costs of maintenance, weeding, watering, fertilizing, are calculated over the long term, native plantings can ultimately be more cost effective for pollinator enhancement. Native plantings also give the added benefit of enhancing native biological diversity, plant and wildlife diversity, <laughs> and are the logical choice to enhance native pollinators. It depends on where you get your native plants. If you get your native plants through your local conservation district, they might be quite a bit cheaper than what you can get at the nursery. And actually, tomorrow night, Wednesday, February 20th, King Conservation District is hosting a native plant workshop. So if oh. you are up in the King County area, Shoreline specifically, from 6.30 to 8 p.m., you can go learn more about the economic and environmental benefits of native plantings and how they benefit pollinators. Oh, cool. Yeah. So... Hmm. Another thing that's really important is soil preparation. You need to have the right nutrients, the right moisture, do a soil test. You also want to consider the diversity of plants so and, and like layering. So where you have shorter height, medium height, and taller height things, mm -hmm. and then that bloom at different times throughout the season. Mm -hmm. So just... <laughs> Variety is the spice of life. <laughs> Another piece of advice that I have found was that they say to plant the pollinator plants in clumps. Huh. Also, minimize or eliminate, if possible, pesticide use. Uh, we will have a link on our website to a list of alternatives to insecticides that are harmful to bees. But really, you know, if you could just not, that'd be great. Right. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, just thinking about how to make a pollinator-friendly garden. It's pretty easy. There's mm -hmm. not, if you use natives, you find pretty stuff that has nice flowers that blooms, you know, different times throughout the year and at different heights. Mm -hmm. Pretty much that's what we're talking about. If you have grass areas and you can convert those to something that's not grass, that's another great way. You know, like I was saying, the fact that this it's a monoculture and it's mowed mm -hmm. down before it flowers means that that ain't no food for bees. And, you know, they even said, hey, dandelions, here's a great excuse to keep your dandelions. <laughs> right? They do provide uh, food for the bees. So mm -hmm. another thing you can do if you really love the bees is you can make a bee water garden. There are some mind-blowing instructions linked on our website. I feel like Jen and I should probably make a video of us making a bee water garden based off of these <laughs> instructions. I, I think um, that would be... Um, just gold. Golden. Super golden. So yeah. anyways, check that out. It's super cute, and we should all have bee water gardens, I feel like. Yeah. Well, now I want one. I'm intrigued. Yes. So again, go to our website. We'll have some more information about bees and plantings and landscaping for bees hmm, cool are we ready to talk gis i think it's time all right you know there's a lot of really interesting research being done around kind of mapping areas that are most suitable for keeping bees and part of this research looks at kind of the surrounding bee habitat and foraging grounds available near potential beekeeping sites and it uses remote sensing analysis to help determine habitat suitability I'll link to a couple of papers in the show notes, 
But this brings me to today's topic, which is rasters and the NDVI function. What? So NDVI stands for Normalized Difference Vegetation Index. Mm. Yeah. It sounds real sciencey. It is. And I'll talk about it more in the blog. But it's basically a magical way to determine vegetation presence and overall vegetation health. That sounds pretty magical. Right? Mapper. So the nice thing about GIS is that if you have an image with the color and near infrared bands present, don't worry, I'll explain that a little more on the blog. There's a tool that does all of the calculations for you. Magic. So you just add your image into ArcMap and click the NDVI button, and the NDVI value is calculated for each pixel in your image. Whoa. Yep. That's all you have to do. Click a button. Magic. Magic. So once it calculates these values, all you have to do is look at your image. The very low values and negative numbers represent things like clouds and water and bare soil and rock. Moderate values represent shrub and grasslands, and high values indicate temperate and tropical rainforests or like very lush, healthy vegetation. So some examples of how scientists use this is look at a field and determine the health of the crop and, you know, whether it maybe is not getting enough water or if it's, you know, really healthy. And they do things like try to predict the yield from the crop. Very cool. Yeah. I'll explain more about all of that on the blog and explain how to use the tool. But it sounds pretty easy. If you have the right kind of image, you just press the button. Exactly. Kind of know how to interpret the data, I guess. Yeah. Yep. So it's a pretty cool tool. Let's talk about some citizen science. Let's do it. So I have a few different things to talk about, and the first thing I want to talk about is from the National Pollinator Garden Network. So they were doing this challenge to get people to build pollinator gardens or plant pollinator gardens and put their gardens on the map, and they were trying to get a million gardens mapped. So they've hit their million garden goal, but... Many areas on the map look really sparse, especially in the Pacific Northwest. Interesting. Right? So they do have plans, even though they've hit their goal. They do have further plans, which are super secret squirrel and I can't talk about yet. Mm. But. Now I want to do this, whatever it is. I know. So the map's not going away and you can definitely still add your garden to the map. So I think I'd like to challenge our listeners to create a pollinator garden and add it to the map. Mm. And maybe we can see which communities can add the most pollinator gardens. So we're going to go look at the data they have currently, figure out where they're at right now, and then based off of all of our listeners... No one else, just us. (laughs) Because the Pacific Northwest is not very well represented here. So obviously they're not marketing to us very much. So we're going to help them uh, get into our area. So let's add those pollinator-friendly landscapes to their map. That's right. 
once the National Pollinator Garden Network releases their super secret new plan, which won't be so super secret anymore. And we'll follow up then on who's doing the best in the challenge. Mm. Maybe we'll even have prizes by then. Mm, Maybe. So the second citizen science opportunity is the Pacific Northwest Bumblebee Atlas. And this is an opportunity to survey bees. And you go to their website, which we'll link to on our site, and you can adopt a grid cell. And then all you have to do is survey somewhere within your grid cell twice. So you can either survey two different times at the same site or two different sites within your grid cell on the same day. Now, most of the grid cells in Washington have already been adopted, but there's still plenty available in Southern Oregon and Idaho. You can also sign up to help out the person who's adopted the cell already, and we'll post additional information on this opportunity on our website. Fun. Yeah. If you think you're missing out because all the cells in your area have already been adopted, there's another tool that I want to talk about, and that's the Bumblebee Watch. This is a a really cool app that anyone can download. I mean, anyone, as long as you have an iPhone or an iPad, because it's not available on Android. Um, Rude, (laughs) why are we even talking about this? Uh, So all you need to do to participate is just, if you see a bumblebee, snap a photo of it, upload it to the app, identify the species, and the app can help out with that. It has all sorts of really cool information. And your species identification will actually be verified by an expert and then added to the map. And you can also view the sightings from others to see what kinds of bumblebees have been spotted in your area. Very cool. I yeah. didn't even know there were different types of bumblebees. Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of different ones I was looking at. I kind of got totally lost in this the other day. It's really fascinating. Very cool. Yeah. Well, that's it, folks. We've reached the end of episode six. Today, we let you know why you should never agree to go in the field with me. I learned my lesson. We talked about bees and other pollinators and included some fascinating bee facts. We told you how you can determine vegetation health through satellite photos and talked about how you can create your own pollinator gardens and challenged you to a garden off because who doesn't love a little friendly competition? Exactly. We also told you about a couple of different bee-related citizen science opportunities. So please join us for our next episode of Fecal Fun, Amy's favorite topic. Yay! So of course we're talking about it again, but from a different angle. What angle is that? Up above? Mm, You'll just have to wait till next episode to find out. Also, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please, please, please leave us a review. We don't have any reviews yet. We need a review. We need reviews. Be our first reviewer. Please, please, please. And also, please let us know what you think at outoflivepodcast.com or facebook.com slash will we make it out alive. As always, if you notice anything that we don't quite accurately represent or we just say wrong, please let us know. Send us an email or call us out on Facebook and we'll uh, make sure to get that information corrected. Yes, please do. Now, we get a lot of emails, but we do try to individually respond to each and every one of you. (laughs) I don't know why you're laughing, Jen. No reason. (laughs) Until next time, this is the Poop Detective. And this is 
The Magical Member. Signing out. Will we make it out alive? Where are you being a robot over there? I was born this way. <laughs>